0: You are listening to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. Whether you are a friend of the pod or a new listener, we're glad you have found us. We bring Women Transcend to you every week. If you like the program, one thing you can do to support Women Transcend is leave a review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. We also encourage you to be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that new episodes will automatically show up in your podcast player each week. My guest today is Amy Vanderpool. She is a licensed attorney in Washington, D.C. and in Washington State. She is a writer and the director of the Inanna Project, Fighting for Equal Rights for Women. I have to admit, I'm also having a little bit of a fan moment having Amy on the show because she is at GirlsReallyRule from Twitter so my interview with Amy is coming up in a moment. Joining me to discuss today's episode with Amy Vanderpool is none other than the fabulous sound artist, John Philbeck.
1: You're too kind.
0: <laughs> How are you doing, John? I'm
1: fine. How are you doing dude?
0: Good. I um, Happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so here's what's going on. Last week after my interview with Karn Anderson for Human Trafficking Part 2, John joined me to discuss episode part 1 to introduce part 2, and we got a really positive response from our friends of the pod. So thank you for the the notes that you sent. We we listened.
1: Our very kind listeners. Yes. Thank they- you for putting up with me. <laughs>
0: So thank you, especially Judy Kay, um, for your so nice. your comments. And so we will be adding conversations with John, too.
1: On a, on a trial basis. We'll see if the, <laughs> the positive comments yeah. keep coming in.
0: He's on probation. <laughs> so, yeah. So we just had a really powerful, I thought, discussion with Amy Vanderpool about kind of the state of the state of women in the United States after the election of Trump, and really before the election of Donald Trump. Yeah. And one of the interesting things that I haven't heard anybody discuss was how would things be different if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency?
1: It almost felt like thinking about that was sort of taken away from us. It felt like once Trump won the election— we couldn't even bring ourselves, I couldn't anyway, bring ourselves to, to think about, well, what might have happened if Hillary had won? And specifically, and this is one of the things that Amy brought up, what might have happened with regard to, you know, the status of women, the discourse about women, if Hillary had won? As we'll hear, she makes some really great points about how in some ways it might have been better, but in other ways a lot of the very toxic language if anything, might have even amped up more.
0: I do feel like we were robbed of that. I mean, we were robbed of a lot of things, but um, it's almost like a painful point to go back and think about how might things be different. And we, uh, as we will hear, Amy has some really interesting thoughts on that. It's kind of like the genie has was out of the bottle. And regardless of which way the election went, you can't stuff that genie back in. That's right. Yeah. And then the other thing that we talk about is the era of toxic masculinity that we're in and what this has meant for women and how women are palpably suffering. Some, you know, silently and some are having a little bit more difficulty. And this is something that we've touched on in previous episodes. It's hard to escape discussing this. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts as a man from the perspective of the XY chromosome?
1: (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah, especially right after the election. You know, I, I think everyone was just so stunned. You know, we're both teachers. We saw a lot of our students that were just visibly struggling with the out- outcome of the election especially in those times everyone was just sort of gobsmacked with the outcome just h- hardly being able to believe it and really struggling with it visibly and i think that's what you're uh, you're getting at you know i think in the in the intervening time we have all uh, tried to cope in our in our own ways some people understandably still having a lot of trouble coping with um this rhetoric of the toxic masculinity, to me, it's just embarrassing, you know, as, as a man, it's embarrassing to be lumped into this category that I don't buy into that I can't sort of wrap my mind around.
0: I, I'm just wondering sort of out loud, I guess, if that impacts the way that you treat women, because you feel like you have to kind of overcompensate because women assume that that you're
1: a, a misogynist. It's hard to know whether someone assumes that I'm gonna be a misogynist. You know, I, I I try to be sensitive to whether or not I'm coming across that way. So I think my, my feelers are definitely up more for that than they were in the past. As I said, that's something that I don't buy into. I can't wrap my mind around why people would feel this way or voice these things. So in, to a large extent I try to to just act the way I have been. But to really try to be as as sensitive as I can, I think it's worth, uh, you know, you have to check your privilege. You know, males do have have a lot of privilege, and I try to be conscious of that and the ways that that privilege can manifest, and to to be sure that it doesn't sort of unduly impact my relationships with women.
0: Great. Well, thank you for joining me for my this pleasure. this discussion. Always a pleasure. <laughs> See, he's going to work extra hard to make himself sound (laughs) so good. I
1: make us sound (laughs) so good now.
0: So coming up next is my interview with Amy Vanderpool. Welcome to Women Transcend Amy. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. I have to be honest. I've really been looking forward to talking with you. Uh, The work that you do is really exciting And honestly, I have been saving up like a femme rant that I just need to get out (laughs) into the universe.
2: (laughs) Well, you know what? I got to tell you, I'm your girl. So let's do it. Let's do it now. Let's do it today. Let's just get it all out because I think everybody's feeling the same way. Right?
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm just going to go right in. We went overnight from... Nearly having a woman president to having a president who is arguably the most offensive, misogynistic president of the modern era. How have you been affected? How do you see other women being affected by this?
2: Well, what happened for me the night of the election was disbelief. I'm sure everybody felt that. I was stunned, and I sort of held on to this hope that, no, something – Something was going to come to pass or come out that it happened because it didn't make sense I still believe that this result doesn't make sense. It doesn't jive with the universe It's it's not necessarily meant to be although I accept it because we have to to move on where democracy I don't believe it was the way it was supposed to be and the reason for that is because Typically throughout history throughout American history when you have a person of one party in the presidency You have the opposing party in the Congress. It's it's what's always happened. We have that bad Balance, it naturally works out that way. So the fact that we are sitting in the position that we are tells me that something happened in the universe and it's not necessarily the right outcome. But regardless, we have to move on. We have to keep going. And so the way I've decided to do that is to remain positive positive to galvanize my efforts and to fight this presidency and this Congress at every turn, to fight for other women, to fight for myself, and to speak up even louder than I was speaking up before. Because the hard part, I'll tell you, has been the loss of Hillary Clinton's leadership on a daily basis. We don't have her on the TV anymore. We don't have her brilliant words. We don't have her motivated speaking. And that's what's so disappointing for me.
0: Now I'm going to move on to toxic masculinity. So the environment in this country for certain, but I, I have a feeling that this is creeping globally, this environment of toxic masculinity and misogyny, it seems to have escalated during the Trump campaign and almost from the time that we saw him coming down that escalator in Trump Tower and he made his announcement. Do you feel like this energy of toxic masculinity has been getting worse since the campaign and since he assumed the presidency?
2: I feel like it's always been there, but I feel like it's certainly more out in the open. I kind of equate it to... Uh, What I believe people of color feel after the Obama presidency, which is, you know, racism was never gone. It was people were deluded to think that we had gotten farther than we had. And once we had a black presidency, people felt it was okay to sort of really voice their opposition and their opinion about race. And it became just more obvious to everyone. I think we're in that same position, position, but with gender. Yeah. And as far as far as it getting worse, you know, I always say that a precursor to what's going to happen in America in terms of politics, fashion, anything really, is to watch what happens in England. They're typically a year and a half ahead of us on anything that happens. And so the decisions they make there, the the referendums they have, the people they elect, (laughs) Brexit, all of it, everything that happens there, down to hairstyles, it tends to come here about a year and a half after. And when the Nigel Farage thing went down and the Brexit thing went down, I got really worried and I thought oh God, oh God, it's happening again. But then I thought, no, people are going to see that. They're going to see how much trouble they're in. They're going to see how much people regret it. And they're going to really, really mobilize for Hillary. You know, this isn't new. Italy had a really, really bad leader a couple years ago. Europe has been going through this for years. So it's just sort of on a delay to hit us. I've been out in the workforce and I've experienced this type of behavior for a while now. And all I can say is that it was always a lot more covert. All of the discrimination, I experienced was a little more subtle than it is now uh, based on where I was. I mean, when I was in Oklahoma, it was just not subtle at all, but nothing is there. So uh, so I feel like on the one hand, yes, it's in our face. It's unbelievable, but I almost on some level appreciate that because it's always been there. It's always been underlying in, in the back rooms and in the back discussions of everything. It's always been there. This is how people truly feel about women. It is the truth. They're just feeling like it's okay to express it. It's clearly not, but it's what they've always been saying. They're just voicing it very loud because Trump has given them, um, kind of a free pass to be children, to be kindergartners on the playground pulling those pigtails you
0: know Uh, what I'm saying yeah and that also to me is kind of what makes this so very painful is that it has been there and latent and if you're a woman you cannot have been in this world and not have experienced some Mm -hmm. sort of sexism or misogyny but not to this level and then for it just to have sort of exploded sort of I personally, as you can tell, am having difficulty processing that it is still so apparent. And so many people still feel that it is okay, and clearly it is, okay to treat women this way and to speak to women this way, to hurt women the way they do.
2: Well, I think for... I think like it is for for everything else in America right now, we are fifty fifty on everything. Down the line on everything, healthcare on this well, now we're not, it's tipped. But I mean I think it's okay for half of the country, and I think for half the country it's really not. And I think that I will tell you that what did surprise me was uh, when the pussy grabbing thing came out. That really actually did. It surprised me that it didn't surprise me that he said it. It didn't surprise me that it was on tape. What surprised me that was that it didn't take him down. Yes. That it instantly didn't take him down. And I – I was so proud of how women mobilized and how they were so honest. And the week after it happened, people started on Twitter, they started talking about their experiences with sexual harassment. And so did I. And for the first time, I was opening up about times that things happened to me that I just never wanted to revisit. But that was sort of cathartic. And I thought, well, this is really great. And this is going to take him down. And here's the final nail. Uh And when it didn't, that's actually the first time I got truly, truly concerned uh, for where we were headed. And, and, and even, even though I thought Hillary was going to beat him, I was very concerned about the state of things. Even after she won, I knew that nobody was going to ease up on her. If anything, it was going to get worse for her. I knew she was prepared and she can handle that for sure. But I knew for us, it was going to be contentious regardless. That's and a really good point. it was just not going to go away.
0: Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. an excellent point. I don't think that anybody has just, dis- has really discussed that, like, w- how would things be different for women had she been elected? And and maybe it wouldn't necessarily be that different, uh, maybe to a different degree.
2: Well, we would have had we would have had the laws in place now protected. And we would have I believe we would have been on a much quicker path to possibly an ERA, definitely to equal pay, and to protecting the rights that we already have established, such as, you know, the right uh, to choose, but we wouldn't be under attack in that respect. So Legally, we wouldn't have the assault on our rights that we're seeing now. I mean, Arkansas has just passed a law saying that women have to ask permission from their rapists to have abortions. Yeah. So- Uh and of course it'll go to the Supreme court and of course it'll be struck down. But what concerns me about this is that people who aren't knowledgeable in this area, they, they think this is, is okay. They uh-huh. think that this will be the law and they don't understand that in the intermediary time between when this gets struck down at the Supreme court, you're looking at a year and a half to two years of women having to follow this law yes. and suffering consequences. Uh-huh. And this is just, this is just disastrous and very frightening.
0: Yeah. And was it South Carolina, the state legislature heard, uh, did they pass or they they introduced a bill that women could not terminate the act of intercourse once it had begun
2: Right, right. Yeah. They they could not once they had consented, they could not remove consent. Uh-huh. Basically, yeah. Uh, even even if they had changed their mind during during the sexual act, which is absolutely insane and goes against the definition of consent. Right?
0: Ex- exactly. But just as you said, somebody might read that and 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 think, well, that's the law of the land now.
2: Right, and it's okay to behave like this. Yeah, just like they think it's okay to rape your wife. Yeah, just like they think a wife can't remove consent. I mean, uh-huh. it's. Yeah, Yeah.
0: well, yeah. So since we're we're on the topic of legislation and uh, sort of structural things that are happening, I'm going to bring up the defunding of violence against women programs, um, the defunding of Title X family planning, the very recent defunding of Title Twenty adolescent pregnancy prevention. Um, and those are just the things that, I, you know, people close to me are working on. These are things that women have spent a long time advocating to get in place. And it's, it's frightening. It's really frightening how quickly these things that we thought were right were taken away. Right. And, and that also right. brings me to Medicaid and Medicare. We just we consider that sacrosanct. But nothing is right. anymore.
2: Well, and the other the thing, you know, your point, what's what's important to realize about this, too, that not a lot of people understand is that, you know, the laws may be in place. But if the programs, like you said, are not funded, then they don't exist. It, it doesn't really matter. And if we may still have the right to choose, which we will and which I believe won't be overturned, I don't think we're at risk for that yet. I see nothing on the horizon to show that we're going to lo- lose the ruling in Roe versus Wade yet. But there are lots of ways that people can legislate around that. They can make it so difficult to get an abortion by putting so many restrictions on the actual abortion in the state uh-huh. that women can't afford it, that they can't get to it, they can't access it, which yeah. is what, frankly, the right has been doing for the last 10 years anyway. We've already been dealing with those state by state and having such a hard time with that. Uh-huh. And, um You know, this is why Planned Parenthood is so critical, and the funding of Planned Parenthood is so critical, and explaining to people that the Hyde Amendment exists, which means that the federal government will never pay for an abortion that's procured through a provider or through Planned Parenthood. The government does not reimburse abortions. So as much as they like to argue that destroying Planned Parenthood destroys the right to an abortion, it doesn't do that, and people need to understand that it's not being paid for to begin with. So... If we're not making sure that we demand that these programs are not only kept in place, but are fully funded, and we demand our tax money go to services that are going to truly help all people, especially people of low means, low income, then we're going to lose. We're going to lose at every turn.
0: Yeah, I honestly think that people, they don't really care. I mean, there are certainly some some zealots who care about the connection between family planning, Planned Parenthood, and abortion. But I really think that the war, the deeper issue is agency of women um, and Mm -hmm. control over our bodies. So even if you had a full-on symposium for the entire nation to educate them about Hyde Amendment, I think that we would end up in the same place. Yeah. Because I I think it's not about funding abortions, which we don't. US government does not. Right. I think it's about allowing women to have control over their bodies, agency right. of their own welfare and destiny.
2: Well, and let's think about this too. You know, the reality is that this couldn't happen. They couldn't have this kind of support if women weren't so divided on the issue of choice. Yes. I mean, the truth is that women, we really have an issue with women coming together on the idea of having the freedom to make your own choice. And I know a lot of women who are single issue voters and they vote on the idea of choice. They are pro-life and they will vote all the time for pro life, and when I was in law school, I was actually very friendly with a very conservative girl, and I was considered, of course, the most liberal and outspoken, and blah blah blah. And she um, was very adamantly against pro choice. She was very pro life. She was Catholic. She did a lot of work with Catholic charities. And one day, we were having a conversation about something, and she made a very snarky comment about me being a baby killer, which you know is just ignorant. and And I looked at her and I said you know, do you think I I like the idea of abortion? And that kind of shocked her. She was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, I I don't like the idea of any woman having to go through that choice to put her body through that trauma, to have to experience that. I think it's unfortunate that any woman has to go through that and make a choice, even though it's a choice for her and it's a right choice and it's legally her right. I said, "My, my whole goal would be advocacy for prevention so that we don't get to the point of needing abortion so that we're educating people. And I gave her the stats from France and how they've lowered their abortion rates significantly with prevention and studies and basically the work that Planned Parenthood is doing um, with birth control. And she seemed kind of stunned. And she said, oh, well, I I agree with that. I said, "You're, you're for birth control, aren't you? And she said, yeah, actually, I am. I said, well, then we agree. We absolutely agree. I mean, we get to the point of, not agreeing when we when we talk about do we think a woman has a right to have an abortion which if you're a woman living in 2017 and you still do not believe that a woman has a right to make that choice for herself then i don't know what to tell you yeah. but the reality is we can all come together under the concept that we want to do everything we can to prevent having to get to the point of abortions because it doesn't help No one wins. No woman comes out of that, you know, jumping in the air, giving high fives. It's not the best experience of her life. It's not fun. I'd rather a woman never had to go through that and she was able to get access to preventative care and to birth control. So I think think the key is really getting a movement together where women understand that we can all work together at some level on this without even getting to the argument of pro-life and pro-choice.
0: Yeah, and there actually is some good data that's coming out of Texas to show that with decreased access to contraception, there are indeed increased rates of abortion in the state of Texas, despite the fact that it is nearly yep. impossible to find a provider to give you an abortion in the state of Texas. Yep. And then the other sure. thing is the shocking discussion that came up around uh, health care reform when men said, well, I don't have babies, so I don't want to have to pay for your prenatal visits. I don't want to have to pay for your gynecologist visits or your birth control. I don't have babies, so that I'm not concerned
2: with that. And there I were know. a
0: shocking number of men that agreed with that.
2: I know. And you know, it didn't, it didn't actually surprise me. I I thought their arguments were so crazy. And I found it shocking that they felt it was okay to say it out loud. But I've known so many men that think like this, that it, it actually didn't, it didn't surprise me too much, I guess. I I know, I know. There's yeah. absolutely no you know, you look at you look at the workforce today, you look at how women are equals in every sense of the word. We're not bringing in the same income. We're not rewarded for that. And to say equal is kind of a joke because most women, especially women with families, they're going to work, they're working as much as a man and they're coming home to their second job which is caring for the family. Uh-huh. And And you know, it's like women are really expected to do everything and be everything, but then men have absolutely no responsibility for any part of it. It, It's like the idea of procreation occurs just, just naturally. I mean, it's immaculate conception or something. Uh I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's so insane. And, um, I, again, I think it's one of those arguments that you're going to have people that are out on a limb and actually think like this. And at some point, what do you uh, what do you say it to these people who could actually believe that and can advocate for that? And these are men who have families. Yeah. these are men who yes. who have children who have seen their wives given birth to their own children and they still feel this way. What can you really say to these people? I I'm at a loss. Do you have any ideas? I mean, what can you say to get through to these people that they are responsible for the health that they have mothers, they have daughters, they have wives, they have sisters, and we're all in this together? I don't know how to get it through. Yeah.
0: Anymore. The only thing that I can think, you know, I've turned this over and over, is that anyone who is saying these things has never had to struggle to get health insurance. Right. Because if you have ever been in a situation of financial instability and had to find your own insurance, um, mm-hmm. you know it is nearly impossible. And to have to pay for your own care, clearly there are a lot of people on the Hill that who have, have never had to worry about financing their own health care and what right. a burden it is. You don't just show up and they hand hand over medicine, or they right. do a mammogram and you walk out and, oh, just skip a latte, and then you can afford to pay for your <laughs> mammogram. I mean, I right. feel sometimes like right. that's the thinking. It's It all comes down to sort of Starbucks- Economy or, yeah, it a, is. Yeah, Remember
2: when Chaffetz was saying, you know, don't buy your iPhone? Why yes. are you buying your iPhone? You could get insurance as if the two were even comparable. <laughs> I mean, as if you could just okay, because an iPhone costs the same as insurance. He's and this is a man who's creating our laws and he has uh, yeah. no basis in reality.
0: I know, yeah, yeah. And our president thinks that apparently, uh, health insurance costs about $12. That
2: was sure, that was just sure. published. Like sure. within the last couple of days. So, um, well, and what scares me too is that you know he's running this thing and he's advocating for something and he's the grif- the king of all grifters, right? Yes. So he's going to create an insurance Ponzi scheme. We all know it. We all see it coming. And we're going to have no health insurance commission to regulate fraud and to make sure that we're protected from these claims. Have you Have you ever read th- through your insurance claims? I have. I'm a lawyer. I read everything, and I have never completely. read read all of those documents. You always just cross your finger, you go by word of mouth, you go by the reputation that insurer has, and you hope that when the chips fall, that they land in your favor and the the insurance company is not going to deny you for life-saving treatment if it comes to that. You know, most of us operate in that way. And think about all of the people who are looking for the cheapest bargain, who truly can't, it's either insurance or food for them, and they're going to get these absolute, you know, rain man uh, schemes and these, these insurance policies that are worthless, absolutely yes. worthless, and they're not going to find out until they get that cancer diagnosis. Uh-huh. Yes. That's what scares me. Yeah. That's what scares me.
0: Oh, yeah. Or they, something minor will become something major, and by the time they come into care, they will um, be destitute and go into the ER. They will enter the system through the ER, and then healthcare expense uh, explodes, which is what one of the things that the ACA was trying to address. Right. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just going to circle back. And how how do you think American women have been impacted by this? I know you say that you try to have a positive outlook. And, mm-hmm. y- you know, that's great.
2: I try. Yeah, it doesn't happen every day. I try. I mean, yeah. I you know I got to tell you, I got I got a really sweet uh, direct message on Twitter the other day from one of my followers who you know speaks up in the comments. I read all of my comments, which is really hard to do, but I it's my favorite part of Twitter is interacting with everybody and hearing what they're they're saying and doing. And she said to me, uh, um, "I need your advice. What do I do? I'm I'm yelling at my kids. I'm unhappy." you know and she was just having a really hard day and she was so worried that she couldn't get out of this because it's it's been several days in a row for her and you know this is after the election i had a lot of ladies saying i can't get out of the bed they were in the bed for for many weeks and i just said then stay in the bed it's all right don't beat yourself up let it let it happen and then you you get out when you can and we'll be here but this mom was having a really hard time and I said to her, you know, I think something would be wrong with you if you weren't angry and it's okay and just find another outlet. But if you've got to disconnect and you've got to get off the Twitter because you can't take it, then don't force yourself to to be so informed that you're making yourself insane. You know, it's it's creating this environment for all of us where we are scared to death. And because we're scared, we're very angry and we're very um, temperamental and we're very, it, it's really affecting everybody's lives. And I see it every day on Twitter. And also on Twitter, you can sort of Palpably feel the energy in a given day. You know, Uh when something's cycling around, you can feel it. You can feel when there's a mass depression going on on Twitter. Uh You really can. And you can feel when there's a joy and you can feel when there's worry. And um, the energy has gotten really angry. And that's why I think. You know, it's so important for everybody to sort of take shifts on this whole resistance thing. And when you do get angry and it gets too much, and it happens to me, you know, I start snapping at people who are trying to explain to me the law, which is my biggest pet peeve. You know, uh, when yeah. I tweet something, my legal opinion, and I have so- somebody and comes And you get in and mansplained. Me, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Mansplaining. About the law by a layman is like my least favorite, I, and it always happens on the very worst day, and I just want to just pull my hair out, but I try to be patient, and if I can't, I get off. I get off, and I disconnect. Yeah. Uh-huh. Gotto.
0: Gotto. I I got um, mansplained uh, from a man <laughs> about how there was not, no such thing as mansplaining. So I, Of that course was- there is. A- <laughs> of course that, yeah that was just like the like thinking? the ultimate a made
2: up word yeah you know what there's no wage gap either that's that's made up it's all made up yeah so, you know. exactly because we stay home
0: we you know and when we do go get a job it's just you know like a hobby for a little extra pocket money
2: isn't it right cute? it's cute <laughs> yeah it's cute i mean i go to work to be cute i yes. just do it to look you know, it's like Charlotte on Sex and the City. You know, I'm just hanging out to look good until Prince Charming comes. And then exactly. I can give it, it all up. You know, it gives <laughs> me an
0: excuse to go and buy some really awesome suits. That's what it comes down to. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so where do we go from here? How, how do we recover from this and move on? Because Donald Trump will leave office. Really One way special. or the other, his presidency will yeah. end. And how do That's we right. move
2: on? Well, this is a really, that's a great question, and it's a really tough question. And it's a question everybody's interested in because it, you know, people are looking for relief and they're looking for a way to not be as afraid. But I have to tell you, I've been interested in politics since I was a teenager, and I've never seen anything like these news cycles we're dealing with. We are dealing with rapid things happening. It, in a way that would have never happened before. I mean, actual like newsworthy things yes. are happening yeah. so yes. quickly. And on top of it, we're in a 24-hour news cycle. So they're, they're going over and over and over it, which is drilling it into people. And I've just never seen a news cycle move like this ever. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it very hard to predict anything that's going to happen. I think that Trump is so predictably unpredictable. Yeah. And in that, I mean, he he's just when you think you can say, oh, that'll never happen. It'll happen. And so I always say, well, any, with him, anything can happen and it will. It's going to happen fast. But here's the problem. Even if Trump is uh, impeached, which in my opinion is going to be the fastest and most reliable way to get him out quickly, we are still stuck with Pence. And even if we could somehow roll Pence into the whole scandal, creating the actual reason for impeachment, i.e. getting them both out uh, at once, which is very unlikely, then we're stuck with Ryan. So, um, you know, oh, I'm not yeah. going to blow false Heaven toes, help us. Not, I, it doesn't <laughs> help us. And I'm I'm not going to sit here and go oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be fixed. It's not going to be fixed right away. It will work out. We will have massive damage to repair. I believe in our country, I believe we can do it. But the first thing we re- were the first time when we're really going to get an option to make an impact is really 2018 because we can't, we can't know truly what's going to happen with Trump. We have to just let that happen as it's going to happen and not hang our hopes on it because it's not, um, It's not a definite end game. We just don't know who, what, when, where. We know it's most likely going to happen. We just don't know how. Uh So, the thing we can focus on, the thing we do have control over, is that 2018 election where we have a lot of seats up for grabs. And what I always tell people is the best way to to make an impact in this is at the grassroots level. That's where you're going to change everything. So, you know, Google your local Democratic. Um, if you're an independent, you know, I'm just telling you, please be democratic for a couple years. Just give us this and then do what you got to do. We'll love you forever. It, you know, you'll be rewarded in heaven a million years over, but just <laughs> do something to help the Democrats because that's where the fight is. And, you know, democratic offices are all over and, you know, if there isn't one, start one. It's really easy. Yeah. You can have meetings out of your living room and you would be amazed at how much work you can do, uh, canvassing, going local. That's where the change is really made so what you can do now is even if you don't have time now you can find out where your your local democratic uh, organization is you can contact the dnc and they'll direct you to them and you can get going you can help a local candidate and then the other thing i tell people is and then pick a candidate that's not local pick a candidate in a completely other state that doesn't affect you that you can throw some cash at and that you can tweet for pick somebody you really like uh i like to endorse a lot of women i um i think that it's great to get women involved in running. And there are a lot of women who are taking up new positions, even if it's like the the local school board or something. It doesn't even have to be a state election. It can be a local election, but pick a state you've never interacted with before and do something for them. Do one thing for them. Put your energy out there into the world and start a ripple effect. Because if you get up and you do one thing, it will actually change the world. It will ripple and it will affect and it will do something and we can control it here and now. You can give a candidate money. It's the easiest way. You can get involved locally and... The thing we've got to focus on is two thousand and eighteen, and we've got to work really hard to get there,
0: yeah, that's a great point and and I think that is exactly what is happening is this is this groundswell and it's not happening from the DNC down. it's happening from people's living rooms up mm-hmm. so if it has to, yeah yep. and if you if you have uh hard feelings against the DNC for whatever reason. Or if you are an independent and really not a, you know, uh, a blue dog Democrat, just like you said, right. find a race that's local or, right. or a... Um, somebody that you can support in another state that that you believe in and and give directly to that campaign. Get invested in the
2: candidate. You know, you're not doing this work for the DNC. You're not helping them. You're helping the country and you're helping your family and you're helping yourself. And you're more importantly, you're telling this GOP that this is not the way to go, that this tea party uh, direction is not here to stay and that it's not okay. You know, I, I advocate the two-party system is critical. A healthy two-party system is critical for our country to, weigh, to run the way it needs to run. But the way the GOP has been bastardized um, so to this direction that it's, just, it's not even fiscally conservative anymore. It's just hypocrisy at, yeah. at next level.
0: A quick note to listeners. Our interview was interrupted by what Amy referred to as a monsoon and our connection was lost. We finished the interview by phone, so you will notice a difference in audio quality, but content quality remains amazing. I understand that you have a really exciting new project starting, the Anana Project. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Sure, I've started a nonprofit and it's going to be based in Washington, D.C. And the premise of it is to advocate for equal rights for women. And the way we're gonna do that specifically is for advocating for equal pay and for equal protection under the law. Because we're organized in a specific way, we're gonna be able to endorse political candidates and help with lobbying, and that's how I imagine we'll do most of our work with equal pay and, and possibly an ERA amendment. But the biggest project I'm excited to talk about with the Anana project is that we are going to create a program to assist local colleges. There are a lot of colleges in the D.C. area, and we're going to create a program to assist them with the epidemic of campus rape. There's a lot of problems with getting people to know where they're supposed to report, to report, to get through the campus police, to make sure that they're getting to the local law enforcement, and additionally I'm sure that the law enforcement communities and the prosecutor's office are kind of taxed with things, so we're hoping to create a program that really lends support to that from every single state of a person reporting that they've been um, sexually assaulted through the trial stage, through making sure people are getting counseling and getting the assistance that they
0: need. Wow, that just sounds so exciting. And you just said three words that really uh, struck me, and that was equal rights amendment. Mm-hmm. It sounds really exciting. I uh, look forward to hearing about the launch of the Anana Project and the important work that you do.
2: We are launched, we are going, and we can take donations if people want to go to org, You can read all about us, possibly make a donation, get on our mailing list, and just keep up with our work.
0: That's great. Thank you. That's great news. I will bookmark it, and I hope everybody else will as well. Um, this is an important way that we can advocate and just take back our agency. If we are yes, being, pro- yeah, if we are being proactive, then maybe we can take back um, our agency and our country. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us, Amy. I really sure. appreciate um, all of the amazing work that you're doing, thank and you. I really look forward to all the great things that Anana Project will be doing in the future.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me. And thanks so much for your podcast and what you're doing. You're doing a lot to help us too. And I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. You can do us a big favor and tell at least one other person about our podcast and how to find us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can be sure you won't miss an episode. It will automatically show up in your podcast player. A big thanks to Amy Vanderpool at Girls Really Rule for speaking with me for today's episode and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we both sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode.